Sports Talk New York with your hosts, Mark Rosenman and A.J. Carter. Sports Talk New York is a Players Point production. It's sponsored by Prince Associates, the company you can trust for all your insurance needs, and the law firm of Decorator Cohen in DePrisco, specialist in line of duty accidents. Here are your hosts, Mark and AJ. Yeah, we, you know, we've been looking forward to this with a little bit of anticipation and trepidation. And trepidation. trepidation. Let's, uh, let's, the people let's in the chat room are already going crazy. I'm going to introduce uh, you for those viewers that don't know who he is, which I can't imagine right. who, who he is. But our first guest night started doing stand-up at open mic nights in New York City at the age of 15. After a few short years, became known around town as the Comedian's Comedian. After spending several years mastering the art of stand-up, producers of the legendary NBC late-night comedy show Silent Live became aware of him and in 1980 hired him as a cast member. It wasn't until a few years later when his true notoriety would begin when MTV hired him for a series of improv and hilarious promos for the newly formed channel. This led to several TV appearances such as The Cosby Show, Late Night with David Letterman, uh, most notable in his film work was his improv scene in Beverly Hills Cop 2. Aside from glowing reputation in comedy clubs, Gilbert began to gain a reputation as a king of quirky roles in both movies and television. After a stellar performance in his wise and parrot in the Disney comedies, he also became known as a voiceover talent. Um, numerous frequent guest shots on The Tonight Show with Jay Leno and, of course, Howard Stern. Which kind of well, begs us to understand why he's appearing with us tonight, right, but it's actually you know, a, a pleasure because he's one of my favorites of all time. Sweet. It's a pleasure to welcome Gilbert Godfrey to Sports Talk New York. So welcome, Gilbert. Yes, and he was found dead today in his New York apartment. <laughs> so that's me sure. <laughs> yeah, it just it it's uh, it seemed like my obituary. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're on the show tonight to talk about your book, Rubber Balls and Liquor, which I have to tell you is the, one of the funniest things I've read in a long time. You know, many comedians have written books in the past, but your book flows like a stand-up routine, and in some ways, seeing it on the written page, and with the added you know, narrative that you add to it, adds to it. What was, what was the process for you, and how did it differ from doing a stand-up routine and writing a stand-up routine? Uh, well, uh, the difference is uh, actually uh, having to write things down. Uh, that that's a horrible thing. It actually have to to work. Uh, yeah. So it's it's just. Uh, I, and then the the worst part about the book was I I did do a uh, an audio version for a while, and uh, just just hearing myself in the sound booth said, uh, you know, I could torture prisoners with this. <laughs> you know, when when I'm sick and tired of my voice, that's, you know, and you've gone too far. So, so you've got to have Don Pardo doing the, the books on tape of your book? Uh, yeah, if I ever write another book, Sir Ben Kingsley is going to narrate it. it. <laughs> Now, you know, obviously, what you just said is more proof of the fact that you are really the master of self-deprecation. Uh, from reading the book... No, I'm the master of self-masturbation, but... <laughs> well, that too. That's <laughs> but, but deep down, to do what you do, you really have to have a high level of self-esteem. If you were to step out of the Gilbert Gottfried character for a moment, and just a moment, uh, how would you describe yourself... And if you weren't a comedian, what do you think you would be? Uh, I, I, it would probably be uh, some really bad job. 
some really subservient job um, that I would have no chance at all of uh, any advancement in. <laughs> now, I'm 51. AJ's a little older. Growing up, my parents had a lot of comedy albums. Uh, and, you know, I was trying to figure out who inspired Gilbert Gottfried from a comedic level. Forget about the television and the movies that you saw. Uh, right away, the one album that I remember, my parents, and I was young, so like when I heard this, it was like, holy shit, the, the Red Fox. Well, and the other one is Lenny <laughs> Bruce. It, yes, yes, I've been compared to Red Fox constantly. Yeah, uh, yeah whenever I go down the street, uh, uh, people come up to me and say, uh, hey, Sanford. And uh, then I turn around and go, you big dummy, and uh, they they love that so much. Well, no. Demond, Demond Wilson still calls me, <laughs> and it just three o'clock in the morning. I'll pick up the phone, go hello, and he'll go pop. <laughs> so, back so to Mars' question: when, when when you were going, when you were deciding to, you want to do comedy. You, you could be funny. You want to get from Mike and make make people laugh. Who? Did you model yourself after, though? Was, was there anybody who said, gee, I really want to be just like this guy? Uh, no, I never really, like, picked out one in particular. There were a lot of comedians I looked at back then. Uh, but I never, there was never really one. And, uh, I, and, in fact, back then I used to do, like, impressions mainly. I just would go on and do one right after the other, and it was like... You know, Beto Lugosi and Humphrey Bogart. And yeah. Even back then, my act was really dated. Well, I have, I, have, I have to ask you to do one, though. You gave me an opening. My brother was a huge fan of yours. He said back then he used to drop anything. They heard you were performing somewhere. Go see you at the Beacon Theater or whatever. Drop anything. He said, have to ask you to do Ralph Cramden as if you were Humphrey Bogart in Casablanca. Do you remember that one? Oh, Okay. You're getting on that plane with thick glass, oh. Oh, you're getting on that plane, all right? Because I know that you know that I know that you're getting on that plane. Oh, I'm, I'm Mark, losing Mark, it already. Mark, Mark, I'm, Mark, losing, I'm, I'm crying already. So, uh, wait, now, wait, wait. for our huge Yiddish viewership out there tonight, uh, in the book you credit your grandmother with telling you maybe one of the first dirty jokes you ever heard. Do you remember that particular joke? And, and you know, since we, you know, we're big on the Fowitz, um, maybe you could, <laughs> maybe you could uh, share that joke with us. Oh, okay. This will have to be for people uh, who are raised in Tel Aviv. <laughs> but uh, this is uh, one of you know my my grandmother used to like every time she'd visit tell me a joke, and this was the one. That naturally I remember because it's the closest my grandmother came to working blue. <laughs> <laughs> and she says, uh, a Jewish man is on the train in the subway and he's going, oh, tsuris, tsuris, I have such tsuris. And an Irishman walks over and goes, if you have a sore ass, why don't you go to a doctor? So, it was a mixture between my grandmother and Red Fox. <laughs> now, also in the book, you mentioned that, and I'll clean it up a little bit, we all know what a MILF is. 
know, Gilbert's got a Jilf list, and he says he actually keeps it in his mezuzah. Uh, Natalie, <laughs> Natalie Portman heads that list. Uh, yes, the, the, Natalie Portman. Uh, I, I picked out uh, of an incredibly brief list. It was uh, Jewish girls I'd like to have sex with. And uh, Natalie Portman, uh, you know, of course, hit number one on that one, and because uh, she was, uh, it, it was the only time that I've ever masturbated to a production of the Diary of Anne Frank. <laughs> I, I have, however, masturbated on countless occasions to Holbrook as Mark Twain. But, that's that's you know another. But but, but on top of it, there. Phyllis Diller also makes this list. Ah uh, yes that's, yes, that's Phyllis Diller. <laughs> and uh, if yes. Joan Rivers is there, we move on to another list. That's uh, okay. See, I want I I was gonna put in a list of Gentile girls I'd like to have sex with, but that that would be a whole series of non-ending books. <laughs> <laughs> now, a while back on your Twitter account, you tweeted an old George Carlin line. I think it's the duty of the comedian to find out where the line is drawn and cross it deliberately. From when you started in the industry to now, that line has obviously shifted. Given the PC climate we live in now, do you think of the consequences before crossing that line? And in that vein, do you feel that Aflac had the right to fire you doing the comedy you do, but they hired you knowing who you are. Yeah, I think right now uh, the uh, quotation should be, uh, it's the duty of every comedian to make a joke and then apologize immediately afterwards. <laughs> so. Yeah, it, it, was, it was just a very strange time, like uh, losing a job and all that stuff, and it's like, and becoming the biggest news item in the country. Yeah. It was like, the funny thing about it is, I actually, uh, you know, people were reading these articles and looking at it on TV and going, well, this guy must have caused the tsunami. <laughs> yeah, the, the, two, the two lines that people think about in terms of issues you've had recently are that one, and of course the line that the you have to roast after 9-11. So the question I ask about that, in terms of too soon, when you go into a line like that, and, you, and, and there's a line where you're crossing. When you think about that, do you know in advance I'm crossing the line and there may be some hell to pay for this, or does it just sort of develop? Uh, I just do it. Yeah, it, it's like, and it's funny, like now people say to me, do you think twice before you make a joke? And I go, it's go, you know, I tell them the truth. I think twice now, and I do it anyway. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> now, now, a lot of the things you get in trouble for are on Twitter. So in that vein, have you ever tweeted nude photos of you yourself to teenage girls? Uh, yes. That, in fact, that's, that's the only reason I have a Twitter account. <laughs> so that means you're declaring for Congress I, next week. <laughs> I, actual, actually, I've, I've never done that. I'm kind of old-fashioned. I just knock on teenage girls' doors. And when they open it, I'm there holding it. Yeah, because, you know, I call me sentimental. It's just more personal that way. Oh, now, on, on top of it, I mean, as a comedian, you know, the fact that this guy's name is Wiener, is that just too easy? Yeah, after a while, that's what gets me, too, about the news media, 
it's like they take themselves so importantly and and they're so self-righteous but when that news item broke it's like the entire news media is going hey we said pp <laughs> and I, you know, I, I was usually think about news i usually think that they you know theater craze spend all the, the time what? theater critics spend the time they think of good lines i'd love to use in a play and finally the play comes along where they can use all the nasty lines restaurant critics too and i think this is what happens to the news media they wait for this to come along and then you know the floodgates open right there's so many the bad, especially the new, right. Post, the new york post absolutely waiting to use these now, interestingly enough for me comedy i believe is a way that we deal with tough situations it's always been yeah. That's what comedy is deeply rooted in. It, you take the worst situation and try to make people laugh to get over it, and it's a way of healing. Um, you take a look at comedians today, and a lot of the, you know, the tension in audiences come when we still deal with race relations, the way we view homosexuality, immigration. Sometimes comedy helps to move those causes forward, and sometimes it doesn't. Are there any topics that you actually feel, like when you're doing, you can sense that, uh-oh, this is not cool, and all of a sudden you, you actually feel it from the audience? Oh, constantly. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's, I, I, what's the big just, one? What's the one that's like, whoa, we can't make jokes about this? It's, uh, well, it's not that I feel uh, you can't make jokes about it, but the audience Will be because it's so it well it's so strange what audiences like well it's just like you mentioned the uh, you Hefneros where he did uh, joke and the whole audience was booing and hissing and and you know just you know mumbling it was like the most hatred and I lost them as much as I could have and then I go into the aristocrats. And then they loved me for it, because that's about incest and bestiality. <laughs> and it's like, see, terrorism, uh, you can't make jokes about, but a family having sex with each other and their dog, that's fine. You know, it's, it's interesting, the, the, the comment on the 9-11 line wasn't that it wasn't a funny line, it was just too, too soon. Funny. And if you look yeah. 10 years later, it's a funny line. Well, I think Although also, it's still, is it ever uh, You know what, it's it also time? Americans. Yeah. You know, it, to me, the Japan, uh, funny as hell. Okay, 9-11, yeah. given the time, it's like, okay, funny, but, you know, I'm American, I can't let, you know, you yeah. have this built-in censorship that kind of like, if it's about us, no. Everybody else, no, fair game. Yeah, Same right. thing, you know, when you, you, if you're Jewish and you hear a Jewish joke, sure, that's not funny. Right. But you hear a Polish yeah, joke, you're that's pissing that's in your right. pants. You right. know, that's the way it is. Um... Your book, aside from being funny, also gives a little glimpse into Gilbert Gottfried's life growing up. Um, there are two stories in particular that had me actually passing the book around in the in the train uh, on the Long Island Railroad, which might... To people you didn't know. That's the <laughs> best part about it. <laughs> exactly. But um, one is your huge family vacation. Uh, can you share with our oh, audience? Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. I... We lived in uh, in Coney Island. I mean, not in the main section there, but in a little side street there, where my father had uh, he ran a hardware store with his brother, our uncle, and uh, I never saw a customer in there. And um, so one once we never like traveled or did anything at all extravagant, like go out for a pizza even. But one day, we, uh, my father decided it was time to take the family on a trip. 
So we, we decided to vacation by renting a bungalow in Brighton Beach. Now, and if you know anything about Brooklyn, you know that like Coney Island to Brighton is like a six-minute walk. So uh, we all like loaded our stuff in the car and, uh, and, and got there in a minute and a half. And, and so this was our big vacation. And then piggybacked on that, if that wasn't you know, a huge enough vacation, they sent you away to summer camp. Which some yeah, <laughs> tell tell about the summer camp you went to. Summer camp was horrible. It it was uh, it it was I think it was like the second worst camps that Jews have been in. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's a lie. You have, oh, to, think oh, for, uh, you have to think for a second. Oh. But that's a lie. No, the, the chapter about the camp it was okay. hysterical. Um, well, no, what about the camp, though? <laughs> well, they'll tell you. Well, okay. Yeah, that, the camp. Oh, well, this this is something that maybe influenced my Twitter jokes years <laughs> later. Because I remember at the camp, it was like this thing of, like, it was um, uh, honoring the, uh, you know, the, those who died in Hiroshima. <laughs> and it was like... It was, like, so weird. And I, even as a kid, I felt like, well, yeah, they were our enemies, so uh, why shouldn't we bomb them? <laughs> you know, the only thing I feel bad about is that we bombed Japan twice, and uh, it would have been nice to have bombed Germany once also. <laughs> now, in, in, we've had comedians on in the past, and they've talked yeah. about their way their parents either discourage them from comedy or encourage them. Um, in reading... The, your book, it seemed to me that your parents were not all that overwhelmed by your parents. You stated in the book that after you would perform a puppet show, which you actually made the paper mache puppets yourself, um, at your apartment, you would get a rave review in the Gilbert Gottfried household, which would say, uh, that's nice, Gilbert, now clean up after yourself. Now, I'm just uh, wondering yeah. if you also heard that a lot after having sex with women. Uh, yes, yes. Well, I'm, I'm still waiting to have sex with women. That's the big problem there. But I'm sure once it happens, they'll just say that to me. Now, now getting back to your family, obviously, I mean, you're brilliant. There, there's no question. We ask you a question, and, and you're improv, and you're brilliant. You, what did your parents honestly think when, when you were growing up being... As funny as you are, the two different comedians we had on, one of well, them was, uh, was Pat, Pat Cooper. Pat, Pat Cooper. Cooper said, you know, a Jewish family, if the guy kid makes a joke at the family table, yeah. oh, the next, you know, Henny Youngman, he's yeah, hysterical. Yeah. Italian kid makes a joke, the father slaps him in the back of the head, shut up, you wise ass. You know, what was your family like when, when you were cracking jokes? Well, it was funny. It's a difference between... You know, I'd crack jokes and sometimes they'd laugh, but the idea... Uh, back then, it was like there was the comedy boom hadn't started yet, and so the idea of like somebody saying, "Oh well, you know, I'm I'm failing in everything in school and all, but I'm going to be a comedian," was like saying, uh, "Oh, well, it's okay, I'll make a living, I'll be the next Charlie Chaplin." You know, it's like <laughs> it he was just insane. Now, you look at your career, and it's certainly involved. While you were not in a lot of skits at Saturday Night Live when you were a cast member, you were not the Gilbert we know today. You were a lot lower key. 
How did you evolve into the Gilbert we know today? Uh, I don't know. I guess uh, the tortured soul. Um, it, I, I have no idea because it's, it's one of those things. It's like uh, saying to someone just in their regular personality, like, uh, how did you develop your day-to-day And that's the way I feel about it. It's like I never consciously... Okay. Well, and what was your Saturday Night Live experience like for you? Uh, that was pretty horrible. It was like, see, we got in right after the original cast had left. So there was like, that became a giant news item. It was all over the place. And it was every single day before the show even came near getting on the air. And it was like, how dare these people... Uh, continue Saturday Night Live without the original cast. And it's like, well, one thing I loved was they said, um, uh, we don't know who any of these new people are. And they totally forgot the fact that no one knew who John Belushi or Chevy Chase was before. And uh, so it was pretty horrible. And then we went on the air, and granted, uh, the show did suck. <laughs> uh, and I couldn't say otherwise. But, um, and then um, there was like, so one incident where, it, because, you know, when the show went on, it was like, basically at that time period, it would be like, if during Beatlemania, uh, you, the Beatles disappeared and, and they said, we've got four other guys and they're the <laughs> new Beatles, you know, just, just accept them. And uh, so once we were on, everyone was attacking us. Um, one of the cast members accidentally at the end of the show slipped out the F word, which, uh, interestingly enough, was also muttered when the original cast was there. But when the original cast was there, the um, ratings were better, and uh, so no one was paying attention or no one at the network owned a TV set. <laughs> but with us, then they heard it clearly. And they fired everybody. It was just used as an excuse to fire everyone. It's interesting. You take a look at the history of that show. Yeah. Some of the comedians that have gone on right. that had bad experiences. Larry David, for instance, yeah. also had a horrible experience there as well. Um, but, you know... So it is what it is, and actually, I mean, I mean, the big difference between Saturday Night Live now is they don't do what they did then, which is bring in a whole new cast one year. They, well, they also they have they a cast they, of they, thousands. They rotate though. them in right. and out. Yeah, yeah, they, they they come, they go, they don't change the whole cast. Now, yeah, it it just seems like the yeah. I when I watch that show, the cast seems to yeah. change in between commercial right. breaks. Yeah, you can't absolutely, and you don't have the person like you knew even with the original cast. You know, everybody had their own characters. Right. There's know? no way to say yeah. with samurai this and boom, you know, exactly the killer bees, killer 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 right. bees or yeah. even you know, some of the stuff that Will Ferrell, the cheerleader bit, the right. stuff they, you know... Now there is no real signal. No well, the, the, what's her name? Uh, Christine Wig the, with, with the yeah. small little hands. Yeah. That's yeah. the one thing with the, the polka thing. Yeah. Um, you talk at length about your voiceover work in cartoons as well as the Affleck commercials. You bring up a great point in the book about the fact that you're shocked at when you were doing Affleck that for each one of these commercials that they did with Affleck, they brought you back into the studio to redo the voice. Now... What is that about? I don't get it. I, I mean, I would think, all right, we've got Gilbert saying Aflac, the I'm dog, you know. I, I guess they felt since they were paying me, 
Ah, uh, they're going to have me work whether they need it or not. <laughs> how, did, how, did you, how did you study to do the Aflac duck? I lived with a family of ducks for a year. Because <laughs> they worked like De Niro. Right. But it is also, he, he talks in the book, doing Iago, how he would ask the director what his motivation what was in these certain scenes, which is also hysterical. Um, you know, it, it's kind of strange. I mean, the com your comedic side and the way you work and the fact that you're a recognizable voice to little children in, in all these films... Um, how do you walk that fine line? I, I always said my career walks the tightrope in between early morning children's programming and hardcore porn. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of which, you, you tell a great off-color Disney joke in there. Uh, could you share that, that joke with us? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, is this the, the Mickey Mouse? One. Absolutely, and it's the internet, oh. so you can say whatever you want. So you can. Oh, okay. Uh, Mickey Mouse go, is talking to a doctor. The doctor says, "I've examined Minnie, and uh, she appears perfectly normal." And Mickey says, "I didn't say she was crazy. I said she was fucking goofy." <laughs> I have to tell you, yeah, I have to tell you that last night. I took my 84-year-old mother to Glee, okay, and she knows... Because she wanted to kill her, yes. <laughs> no, no. And, and on the way home, she says, so who do you have on the show t tomorrow night? I said, Gilbert Gottfried. And we said, and I, I actually told that joke, and she was hysterical. It was, she goes, that's funny. That's I said, I'm going to ask him to, to do that. And, then, <laughs> and, and, and as long as we're on that vein Wait. in closing, I think the perfect way to close this, and yeah. we are the internet. Just before we it, close. Oh, oh wait. Now, let me just plug two other things. Oh, um, my, my website is gilbertgottfried.com. And you could also not only get my book there, but also my Dirty Joke DVD. And my Twitter account is at RealGilbert. Okay, go ahead. Okay, so, and also, I, I would assume the best way to get the book would probably be through your website, correct? That's the... Uh, I would think so. Yes, I would think so, too. And uh, my Dirty Choke DVD also. Great. And what's going to happen is we'll have on our wall of fame, there'll be a link to, to your website directly. Uh, so the, the best way to close, as long as we are the internet and we can go blue, is... Um, AJ, well, the, as soon as this DVD I, came I, I, out... I, right. I introduced Mark to the movie The Aristocrats. We watched it together. Yeah. We watched it together, and you know I, I'm on the floor laughing, and Mark is sort of laughing, too. Until, until Gilbert comes until on. Gilbert then comes I am crying. So let, let's close with, with the favorite... Well, first, before we close with the joke, could you just give a little brief history of this joke, which was for years only in the small so little circles of comedians? Yeah, I mean, this is just one of those jokes that it's it's really like a non-joke joke. It's uh, it's all a lead-up to the punchline and not really the punchline. Right. It's, it's all about the telling. The telling. So and, and yeah, and when the aristocrats came out, that's when I got my best reviews, and I get these reviews like saying, out of the hundred or so comedians. No one is more disgusting than Gilbert Gottfried. <laughs> well, Bob, Bob, Bob Sagan was close. It was close, but not, not quite there. So, so please so tell us the aristocrats. The aristocrats. Okay. Uh, a family 
uh, father and uh, mother and uh, son and daughter and their little dog uh, walk into a talent agent's office, uh, the talent agent says, oh, what kind of an act do you do? So the mother and father take off their clothes, they start fucking. Then the son and the daughter take off their clothes and they start fucking. And then the dog starts fucking the mother, father, mother and father and son and daughter as the son is eating out his sister and the uh, mother is going down on the son. And uh, the dog is fucking the mother in the ass. And then it all comes to a day. They're all like fucking and sucking in a big pile of shit and piss and cum. And then they uh, stand up and take a bow. And the talent agent goes, well, that's an interesting act. What do you call yourselves? And they yell, the aristocrats. (laughs) Oh, my God. Gilbert, didn't you know what? And I tell AJ this a, a lot. When we book guests, you know, the anticipation of what it's going to be, is it going to live up to, you know, just, let's face it, we all have our guys that we look up to, yeah. and when you interview them, either it's like, oh, wow, I wish I'd never done that, you know? Yeah. And then there's others that, like, wow, even better than I thought, and this, this goes in that, even good. better than I thought. And we didn't even so, talk about the Hollywood Squares, uh, which is legendary also. But but we anyway, have to leave something for the book for people right. to go out and get buy the book. Oh, yeah. Get the book. <laughs> buy the book. You know, buy the DVD too. Yes. You know, go to GilbertGodfrey.com. We'll have we'll have the link in Gilbert. Um and 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 I'll have to say this. Um I used a little of Gilbert's attitude to get him on the show because um, okay. and, and Gilbert's on Facebook for those who also want to friend him and follow him there as well. And one morning, I was watching NBC News, and he was on Talk Stoop, which happens to be a good show. I, and okay. you know, but so I just quickly, as soon as, because I've been trying to get Gilbert on for about a year, okay. Nice. So I just emailed him and I just wrote, you know, Talk Stoop, what the fuck? I said, come on, do my show. <laughs> and then, and then I heard back from his publicist. So okay. there you go. There we go. Gilbert, thank you. Thank you. All right, Gilbert, thanks so much. Thank you. Okay. All right, the great Bye. Gilbert Gottfried. Thank you. All right, good night, Gilbert. Good night. All right.